If you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to uh, the gospel according to St. John. John's gospel in chapter 18, and we'll read the first 11 verses together. You'll also find Bibles in the pews. John 18, verses 1 through 11. Now, please listen, for this is the Word of God. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with His disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which He and His disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed Him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with His disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, "'Whom do you seek?' They answered him, "'Jesus of Nazareth.' And Jesus said to them, "'I am he.'" Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, "'I am he,' they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Amen. We give thanks to God for this reading from His holy Word. To God be all praise and all glory, now and forevermore. Let us pray. O gracious Father, we do indeed thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have spoken to us and to Your people through this Word throughout the generations. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, that we may hear all that You would say to us. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you noticed as I read this passage just how rich this is. There's a tremendous wealth of imagery in this very, these, these, these very brief 11 verses. You have so many different portraits of who Jesus is as the Christ. You have this wonderful image, this vision of the work of Christ, of all that Christ would achieve, contained in these very few verses. And at the heart of this work of Christ, as it's revealed to us in this passage, is this central image of the cup. Now, what's this all about? What is Jesus talking about when He speaks of this cup that the Father has given to him. Well, in Scripture, um, cups are, are spoken of quite often. 
Um, as you would imagine, people need to drink, and they need to drink out of something. So cups tend to come in very handy for that. But aside from drinking vessels, there are, there are two types of cup that stand out as having an eternal significance for every single one of us. We're very familiar in the course of celebrating the Lord's Supper with, with one of these cups. Every time we gather round the Lord's table, we speak of the, the blood of the new covenant. This, this cup is the blood of the new covenant shed that the sins of many might be forgiven, or the cup of redemption, the cup of blessing. That's one cup that we find in the pages of Scripture. But there's another cup, another cup that we see time and time again throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament that we would so much rather not think about. It's a cup that goes against all our sensibilities, and it messes up our understanding of who and what God is. The cup to which I'm referring, of course, is the cup of wrath. We don't want to think of God as a God of wrath. We much prefer to think of Him as a, as a cuddly old grandfather figure in the sky, kind of like Santa Claus sitting on His majestic throne at Short Hills Mall. We want to think of Him as a benevolent old gentleman, indulgent towards His wayward, his, his wayward offspring. We prefer to think of God as, as turning a blind eye to our sin, or sort of just, you know, you know, winking at us, shaking His head with a knowing smile and saying, oh, that's just Ian. He's gone and done that thing again. Never mind, I'll pretend I don't see Him doing it. In the second century, there was a, a leader in the church whose name was Marcion, who held a, a somewhat similar view of God. In fact, Marcion took this view of God to the extreme. He said that the picture of God that's painted in the New Testament is a, is a, is, is a portrait of a God of, of, of grace, of, of mercy, of forgiveness, of love. But as he said, as he looks at the God that's portrayed in the Old Testament, he saw there a God who was willful and who was violent, who was capricious, and who was malevolent. And he saw no way of reconciling the two gods. And he came to the conclusion that these had to be different gods, two very different characters. Now, Marcion was one of the very first, in fact, he was the first person to put together any type of uh, canon of, of Scripture. But Marcion's Bible was more censored even than Jefferson's. Marcion cut out the entire Old Testament. He cut out three of the Gospels, leaving only Luke, and that having removed any favorable reference to the God of the Old Testament, he also had a few of Paul's letters, again, very heavily edited. He could not conceive of a God who could possibly be wrathful. And needless to say, he was branded as an arch-heretic by the church, because the whole witness of Scripture will not permit anyone to have a, a view of such an indulgent and such an indifferent God. And I say indifferent because I mean it. If you turn a blind eye and you simply smile and wink 
at the, at the wickedness and at the willful behavior of your, of your own children, then that's not love. That's indifference of the worst kind. You don't care. You don't care what they do. So we're faced throughout Scripture with a cup that's, that's filled with the wrath of God. And it's this cup which I want you to consider this evening. The verse that's before us tonight is, is John 18 and verse 11. And this verse reads, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And from this verse, I want to show you three things about the cup of wrath. And first of all, we'll see that it's the Father's cup. Secondly, we'll look at it as the loving cup. And thirdly, we'll see that it's the empty cup. So first of all, this is the Father's cup. Jesus says very clearly, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? This cup comes from no one else. It belongs to no one else. Christ takes this cup from the hands of no one but the Father Himself. Now, somehow, there are many who seem to think that, that, that wrath is the realm of the devil. But as I look through the Bible, and granted, I'm not perfect. I may have missed some references. Let me just say that, okay? But as I looked the other day there, there was only one verse that I could find in the whole of Scripture that spoke about the wrath or anger of Satan, and that was in Revelation chapter 12. But as a New Testament scholar, um, I, I, a man who wrote a number of books on, on the atonement, the work of Christ on the cross, Leon Morris, as he writes in, in one of his books, there are in the Old Testament alone 508 verses that speak of the wrath of God. 508 verses that speak of the wrath of God in the Old Testament. So this idea of, of the wrath of Satan, I think, falls into a or rather ties into a faulty understanding of what, it mean, of, of what it means when we talk about being redeemed. When we use the word um, ransom, redeem, redemption, we're by definition talking about a, a, a price being paid. So what to redeem something means, or to ransom something, a price has to be paid. We talk about Christ having redeemed us from the power and from the tyranny of the devil. But what we have to bear in mind is the question, to whom was that price actually paid? To whom did God owe something in order to bring us back to Him? Some, dare I say many, suggest that He had to make a payment to the devil. Apart from Christ, we are described as being children of disobedience, children of wrath, under the power of the, the prince of the air, like our father, the devil. But nowhere, nowhere does it ever suggest that God owed the devil anything in order to redeem his people. 
God had to satisfy his own justice. Sin is an act and sin is a state of treason against the very holiness of God. As holy as God is, so great is our sin. And there are so many people who just don't understand what that means. They've got no concept of that. And that's why some think that God can can simply turn a blind eye and pretend that it's not really happening. But because God is so infinitely holy, He has to deal with sin. He cannot and He will not ignore it. It has to be taken care of one way or another. So in a sense, God wasn't making any payment to the devil, but God was making a payment to himself. His wrath had to be poured out against sin. And yet, he chose in his sovereign mercy to take upon himself the just punishment for the sins of those who belong to Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, most often, when it talks about the cup of wrath, it's very, very specific. And it speaks not just about the cup of, the cup of wrath, but it speaks of the cup of God's wrath or the cup of the Lord's wrath. It's a cup that He holds in His hand. He is the one who gives it to those who will drink it. Listen to a few verses that speak of this from, from Psalm 75, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and He pours out from it on all the wicked of the earth, and they shall drain it to the dregs. From Isaiah 51, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of His wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. From Jeremiah 25, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword. I am sending among them. Jesus says, this is the cup that the Father has given me. It's the Father's cup. It's the Father's cup. And then, as, as counterintuitive as this may sound, and it does indeed sound counterintuitive, it's not simply the Father's cup, but it's the loving cup. You see, the Father loves the Son, the two are one. The Father loves who and what the Son loves. They, they can't be at odds in that because the two are one. The Father loves the church, which is described as the bride of Christ because Christ loves the church and gave Himself up for her. So, if the Father loves the Son and the, the Father loves what the Son loves, then what the Father gives to the Son has to be given in love for the Son, and for those who love the Son. So, this cup can be nothing other than a gift of love 
Listen to how Tim Keller explains this in his book, King's Cross. Here you may say, I don't like the idea of the wrath of God. I want a God of love. The problem is, if you want a loving God, you have to have an angry God. Please think about it. Loving people can get angry, not in spite of their love, but because of it. In fact, the more closely and deeply you love people in your life, the angrier you can get. Have you noticed that? When you see people who are are harmed or abused, you get mad. If you see people abusing themselves, you get mad at them out of love. Your sense of love and justice are activated together, not in opposition to each other. If you see people destroying themselves and each other and you don't get mad, it's because you don't care. The more loving you are, the more ferociously angry you will be at whatever harms your beloved. And the greater the harm, the more resolute your opposition will be. When we think of God's wrath, we usually think of God's justice, and that's right. Those who care about justice get angry when they see justice trampled upon, and we should expect a perfectly just God to do the same. But we don't ponder how much His anger is also a function of His love and of His goodness. The Bible tells us that God loves everything that He has made. That's one of the reasons He's angry at what's going on in His creation. He's angry at anyone or anything that's destroying the people and the world that He loves. His capacity for love is so much greater than ours, and the cumulative extent of evil in the world is so vast that the word wrath doesn't really do justice to how God feels when He looks at the world. So, it makes no sense to say, I don't want a wrathful God. I want a loving God. If God is loving and good, He must be angry at evil, angry enough to do something about it, end quote. So, this cup that the Father gives to the Son is a loving cup. So, the cup is the Father's cup. Is given to the Son as a loving cup. And in response to that, the Son, desiring only to do the will of His Father in heaven, asks this question, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? The only response to this question is, of course I'll drink it. Of course I'll drink the cup. What else would I do? It's for this very reason that I've come into the world. It's my food to do the will of my Father and to accomplish the work that He sent me to do. Of course, I shall drink this cup. And as we've seen from the Psalms and from Jeremiah and from Isaiah, there's only one way for this cup to be drunk, and that's to drink it down its bitter dregs. Whenever God's cup of wrath was poured out in the Old Testament, the recipients received it as it was poured out. 
was never given in manageable portions simply to be sipped, but it was poured out and to be endured. As we read, it was a cup that caused staggering and drunkenness and confusion and sorrow. It was never a pleasurable cup. It had to be taken and it had to be drained until there was not one single drop left. It had to be drunk until it seemed like you could take no more, and then there was so much more, and it seemed like it could never possibly end. And this was the cup that Christ took from the Father. This was the cup that He drained because that was the only way to drink it. And when that cup was drained completely and fully, there was not one drop left in it. Not a single ounce, not enough to wipe clean with a cloth. It was cleaned. It was drained in its entirety. The cup of God's wrath is an empty cup for those who belong to Christ. For those who belong to Him, there is now no more wrath. Christ has drained the cup. For those who belong to Christ, He's no longer angry at you. Christ has drained the cup. For those who belong to Christ, there's no more condemnation for you. Christ has drained the cup. For those who belong to Christ, there is no more death for you. Christ has drained the cup. For those who belong to Christ, there is life in all its fullness for you. Christ has drained the cup. For those who belong to Christ, He has drained the cup. For those who are His, He's drained that cup. And in His hand, there's another cup. A cup that the Son Himself gives to you. A cup not of wrath, but of blessing. A cup not of sorrow, but of joy. A cup not of death, but of life. A cup not of condemnation, but of mercy and forgiveness. As we gather around this table this evening, this table of the Lord. If you belong to Him, then take the cup that the Son offers to you. For in this cup is life. The cup of wrath is empty for you. Now eat and drink the cup of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you have shown us how much you loved us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you made us alive in Christ. While we were godless, unfaithful, envious, and filled with hatred, 
in your great mercy and loving kindness, you saved us. While we were objects of wrath, deserving the full extent of the cup of your wrath, you gave that cup to your Son out of your infinite love for Him and for us. And He drained it. And in Him, you gave to us the right to become your children, born not by blood, nor by the, nor by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of any man, but by your own grace and choosing. As a people who have known such a great salvation, who have been brought from the kingdom of darkness into your marvelous light, we still live all too often as if we were children of darkness rather than sons and daughters of the light. We walk in the ways of falsehood rather than living in the truth that is Christ. We seek to fulfill our own passions and pleasures rather than the glory of God. Father, forgive us. Cleanse us. Restore us. Give to us a fresh vision this holy season of, of who you are and who we are and of all that you have done to accomplish our salvation. Affirm in us a fresh certainty that we belong to you. May we know that Christ has drained that cup for us and live in the assurance that we are free, free to live free to give, free to serve, free to bind ourselves to you and to you alone. For you alone have set us free through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.